Now, the making of a good compilation tape is a very subtle art. Are you ready? Yes. No, babe, are you ready? Do you know what a cassette is? Play it. Don't you want to hear what's next? I don't hear any music. I made that tape special for today. So, music? A show where we basically create a mixtape for you, like we did in the 90s. I just, I thought this tape was going to be a conversation stimulator. Cassette, cassette, cassette. Welcome to the mixtape. Every week we are serving up an hour-long mixtape. 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 90.3 KRNU, welcome to the mixtape summer mega mix. And we're doing a different producer every week. And last week... I believe one Mr. Mutt Lang was referred to when we were talking about Rick Rubin. Yeah. Uh, and sort of the Rick Rubin style of producing, stripped down stuff. And uh, you were like, yeah, not like Mutt Lang, right? Right, exactly. Not like Mutt Lang. Not like Mutt Lang. So I'm back with my husband Dan to talk about who else? Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang. Robert John Mutt Lang. Muttons. It's a lot of name, man. Yeah, nobody's going to call him Muttons for me, maybe. <laughs> and Rob Harvilla, who hosts 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, which is a great podcast, calls him Mutt Lange, but we're going to move on from that. Yeah, can't talk about that anymore. You got to go back to that Shania Twain episode and hear all the Lange. It's too much. Yeah, it is too much. <laughs> but it took a, a... I probably researched that more than anything else in this episode to make sure that Mutt Lang is, in fact, correct. I feel like we're standing on solid ground here with the... Mutlang pronunciation. Well, we're going with it. Mutlang <laughs> is our producer this week. Mutlang is from South Africa. He was born in 1948. And he is uh, widely known as a rock producer. Yeah. But specifically making rock music, hard rock music, more poppy. Yes. It's his whole deal. Mm-hmm. So for rock, uh, very famous for like ACDC. Um, I think one of the first ones he did was Boomtown Rats. And then he got okay. hooked up with ACDC. He was a musician before. I think he played yeah. bass and he was in a band. Yeah, there's some awesome, uh, you know, press picks and, and stuff like that of of him with some a real nice curly. With a lounge mm-hmm. on his. That's what we're just going to call his hairstyle. He, he, He's Mutt Lang. The hairstyle is the lounge. The lounge. The yeah. lounge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I want to take a little step back and just talk about what a producer does. Yeah. And. The vibe of like what a record producer is supposed to do in the studio is to make the band or musician or whoever sound the way that they want to sound. Right. And some artists want to sound as close to like the live experience as possible mm-hmm. without it being a live record. And some artists want to sound like larger than life. And that's where you get the production style of a mutlang. So many great videos where people are breaking down the tricks and stuff that he did in the studio to get sounds that became completely, you know, ubiquitous. You listen back and you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. He's very famous for adding extra detail. And one thing that we'll talk about over and over in this episode, he's very famous for like hooks on hooks on hooks on hooks Mm -hmm. and taking songs that were maybe unfinished and putting them with other unfinished songs and basically saying, oh, this was your chorus here and this was your chorus here. Well, now let's match those two together. This is your pre-chorus. This is your chorus. And that's why these Mutt Lang productions have these amazing pre-choruses that basically could be choruses on their own. Right. Like if you really right. start paying attention to mm-hmm. it. He started making records in the early 70s. Boontown Rats was sort of the first one, but the big like Mutt Lang production that he's known for in the 70s was ACDC's Highway to Hell. ACDC, I think everybody can agree, they're a simple band, which is not to say not great. Right. They're very simple in structure, simple songs, right? Yeah. And convincing them to add, like, all of these production techniques was not an easy feat. And they had a producer that they had worked with on their first five albums. Mm-hmm. So Highway to Hell was their sixth album, the first one produced by Mutt Lang. So they had this producer they loved, but their label's like... It's just not hitting on radio. It's not anthemic sing along like big. Yeah, I imagine they were they were still awesome live and like all the attitude and stuff was there, but it it wouldn't pop through the speakers compared to a lot of other bands that were out there at the time. That's exactly right. Thinking about the late seventies and the production value, even if something like disco and just the type of music that was in the pop culture lexicon, mm-hmm. like you needed to be a little more than that because you're not punk like the Sex Pistols or something. Right, right? yeah. So they brought in an outside guy 
um, Eddie Kramer, who had worked with Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin, but the guys did not get along with Eddie Kramer, so they had to get rid of him. What about this guy, Mutt Lang? He produced mm-hmm. for the Boomtown Rats. Like, let's let's give this a chance. And um, brought him in, and the band was pretty resistant at first. But Mutt Lang, one of the things that he did was sort of taught them how to do things that would allow for the bigger vocal techniques. Like, Bon Scott had a big breathing thing. Uh-huh. He wasn't doing really sustained nice breathing that would allow him to really sing out full phrases. Uh Uh-huh. And so taught him that and sort of endeared himself to the band and they produced Highway to Hell. And then Bon Scott died. And then after that, um, Mutt Lang produced Back in Black. And on that one, it got even bigger. Yeah. Even more Mm -hmm. production because now you have Brian Johnson and it was sort of a weird make or break moment for the band. Highway to Hell was big. But what was going to happen with ACDC? Right. They needed to like push all their chips in yep. and prove that this was going to be the the arena rock thing that we needed it to be sustained now that they have a new singer. Yep. So let's do Highway to Hell. This is ACDC. Muttlang produced ACDC on the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU.
to the mixtape. We are um, doing mixtapes of producers all summer, my husband Dan and I, and we're talking about Mutt Lang. So what you just heard was Back in Black and before that Highway to Hell, the first two ACDC albums that Mutt Lang produced, uh, 79 and 80 or 81 respectively, I believe. And you could hear the production difference. Mm-hmm. Speaking of production difference, <laughs> now we're in Mutt Lang in the 80s. This is the early 80s. And Foreigner 4. Ooh. So 1981, it's got a bunch of hits on it. But this was sort of a similar thing because Foreigner had a bunch of albums before. Yeah. This was their fourth album, mm-hmm. Foreigner 4. And it was also when Foreigner went from six members down to four. Okay. So the four had, you know, a lot of... They, they cut out some of the riffraff. Yeah. It had a lot of import yeah. to it. Mick Jones from Forner also has producing credit on this album, so it's produced by Mutt Lang and Mick Jones. Okay. And Mick Jones co-wrote this song with Lou Graham. Many of the Forner songs are a Graham Jones joint. Uh-huh. And it is second only to Lennon McCartney. Right. <laughs> Graham Jones. <laughs> but you know, it's a tale as old as time. Right, you want to go to a concert, can't afford your ticket. <laughs> so you stand outside, creeping outside of the show, you hear the concert, you purchase your own guitar. Mm-hmm. What do you become, Dan? You become a jukebox hero. You do. You've got stars in your eyes. Mm-hmm. The story goes on this song that it was two songs put together. So they had one with the jukebox hero mm. stars in his eyes, and then they had the one guitar was a different song. So then when you listen to Jukebox Hero, you can hear it, right? Because that pre-chorus. Totally, yeah. The verse is like really stripped down. You just got like the kick drum and Lou Graham's doing his thing. Yeah. He's real. Oh, creepy kid outside the concert. And then you get the one guitar. (laughs) And then it's the Jukebox Hero part that's the actual chorus. Cool. So this was one of those... Um, messing around with a couple of different songs, and this is the genius of Mutt Lang. It's putting putting yeah. all those things together. And those producers, a lot of times, do have kind of a Frankenstein effect. You know, let's take a bit of this, a bit of that. Let's add this all in here and see what we can get. And that is totally a Mutt Lang thing. This is Foreigner, Jukebox Hero. Awesome. On the mixtape on ninety point three KRNU. Standing in the rain with his head hung low.
Yeah, gotta love them. We're talking about Mutt Lang on this pro- Mutt Lang producer mixtape because we're doing uh, different mixtapes for producers all summer long. And Dan, my husband, is with me. You love the cars. Yeah, I've always loved the cars. They they uh, always kind of popped through for me back in the day. They sounded a little different. And then when I was a teenager and Weezer became popular and there was kind of a lineage there because their first album was produced by Rick Ocasek of the Cars. So Rick Ocasek became a great producer in his own Yeah. Mm-hmm. This album, Heartbeat City, came out in 1984. It was the fifth album by the Cars. And this happens with a lot of bands. You know, you don't have yeah. Mutt Lang money, Rick Rubin money. Sure. So you have a producer that works with you. And then once you get big enough, your label and your management is like, you're going to need the producer du jour. Right. Nice. Excellent. I like it. I like that song, Magic. Why'd you pick Magic? You know, there's just some interesting stuff audibly going on, a lot of different twists and just even vocal affectations and stuff like that. And I had, and you know, I wasn't there, but I have to believe that Butlang inspired a lot of that. And that's one thing that producers do is challenge the artistic direction of a band and push an artist to go further like so if the artist has an idea they can take that and say almost like in an improv sense say yes and here's what we can do with that and i think that that song's a good example of that where probably with the partnership of a producer like mutt who's a studio whiz they were able to create a really great sounding track you know 
Yeah. So Mutt Lang is associated with a lot of rock artists. But other than ACDC, who do you think of when you think of Mutt Lang? Def Leppard, obviously. Yes. I honestly can't even think of Def Leppard without thinking of Mutt Lang. He produced a bunch of rock records for Def Leppard, primarily in the 80s and the early 90s. And I'm going to play one off of Hysteria because I think this album was a really interesting time. This Def Leppard was already very much at the height of their popularity. Def Leppard was it. Pyromania had come out. Yeah. So we're on Hysteria. This is in, um, what year is Hysteria? 87. 87? That's, that feels like 87. It really does. Tweet at us. Um, <laughs> so let's call it 87 is when it ultimately comes out. But it is in the works for a long time. This one was it started off as a Mutt Lang project. Then Mutt Lang is just exhausted. He's been doing all these other records. If you recall, we had Back in Black and Heartbeat City and Foreigner. All these things are just in a couple years. And so Mutt Lang signed on, but then he was like, nah. <laughs> so then Jim Steinman of Meatloaf fame oh, sure. signed on. And Celine Dion too, and right? And Celine Dion, yes. Yeah. So great songwriter, mm-hmm. um, very acclaimed, but he wanted to make like a more raw sounding Def Leppard record. And Def Leppard's like, we want it to be a bigger stereo record. Do, like you, th- do you think stereo. he tried to get them to record I Will Do Anything for Love? I feel like he shopped that to everybody. <laughs> hey guys, I got this song. Joe, can I call you Joe? Let's talk about I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. And Joe's like, pass. So Jim Steinman is going to take over, but Def Leppard's like, no, we don't want a stripped down sound. We want more of it. Like, how many layers are on Joe's vocals right now? We want to double let's, that. Let's do some more. Let's do more. So then Steinman's out. Nigel Green is in. That still wasn't going anywhere. Now we're in 1984. Rick Allen gets in the car accident. The drummer, yeah. Def Leppard. Only has one arm. He's only got one arm now because he lost his arm in a car accident. His Corvette flipped over. He's a drummer, remember? Right. Pretty important to have the arms. Yes. But Rick Allen's like, no, I got this. So it takes a ton of recuperation. They do like a special kit for him. Mm -hmm. They work in a MIDI and a bunch of other things to make it possible. That all takes time. In the meantime, Hysteria is chugging along. They're still trying to get this thing going. Mutt signs back on. He's like, okay, I'm good. I'm not tired anymore. This one-armed drummer can do it. What do I have to complain about? Exactly. Like, (laughs) I'm fine. So then what happens is Mutt Lang gets in a car accident. Oh, those crazy machines. Honestly, that takes him a while to recuperate. So now we've got a Rick Allen that's okay. We got a Mutt Lang that's okay. Then (laughs) Joe Elliott gets the mumps. The mumps? Oh, my. (laughs) That took a turn. It was quite the production, but ultimately, in like four years later, we get Hysteria with Mutt Lang, with Rick Allen, with a mump-free Joe Elliott, and we get this monster record. Pour Some Sugar on Me, Animal, Rocket, Love Bites. Yeah. Bites, Dan. Yeah. And after all of that, we are playing one of the most ridiculous Def Leppard songs, Armageddon It. Armageddon it. Armageddon it. I love it. You can hear the Mutt Lang production. Oh, yeah. It's humongous. Yeah, it is. There's like 52 Joe Elliott's on this. (laughs) So here's Armageddon it. It's Def Leppard on the Mutt Lang mixtape on 90.3 KRNU.
Def Leppard, Armageddon it. I'm I'm get I'm getting it. Uh, Armageddon it. <laughs> I mean it's loose, right? <laughs> anyway, whatever. Armageddon it. We're talking about Mutt Lang, uh, the production stylings of one Muttred Lang. Lovely. So <laughs> I'm just gonna call it different things the whole episode. Um, so now we're in the late '80s. And here's where Mutt has this huge career of big arena rock stuff. And now we go a little bit more adult contemporary and poppy. Okay. Because the thing to know about Mutt Lang, even though people really associate him with rock music, it's all about these layered studio production techniques. Yeah. And he brought many of these rock bands, these hard rock bands, into a more acceptable pop space. Mm -hmm. You know, ACDC. Not invited to many polite gatherings. (laughs) Or even foreigner, like when everybody's mom started liking them. That's my Lang, baby. Man. <laughs> and they had the same uh, kind of lounge haircuts, too. They did. They all had the melange. <laughs> He's influential in so many ways. So this one is from Billy Ocean. Oh. Ooh. This one's called Tear Down These Walls is what the album's called. It's a reference to Reagan, you know, tear the wall down thing. And so, obviously paraphrased there. (laughs) So, Mutt Lang produced the record, but he also co-wrote a lot of the songs. Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car. And if you think of this song, this is the hook on hook on hook on hook. Sure. The pre-chorus on this could be its own hook, too. Mutt Lang. Getting her done. Getting her done. Getting out of my dreams. Getting into my car. Mm Mm-hmm. Even after that accident, he's getting back in the car. He's getting back in the car. It's important to do it. (laughs) All right, here's Billy Ocean. Get out of my dreams. Get into my car. I think there's a parentheses in there. I imagine there is. Sounds like there would be. (laughs) On the mixtape on 90.3 KRNU.
93.3 KRNU, Billy Ocean, Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car, co-written by Mutt Lang, produced by Mutt Lang. So now we're into the 90s, Dan. All right. And there is a, a Canadian man, a Brian Adams, if you will. Ah. His album prior did not perform the way his label wanted it to. He was doing fine. Mm-hmm. Like, people knew who Brian Adams was. But it did not equate to that, like, It didn't big, cut like a knife. It didn't feel so right. <laughs> So, for radio stations and album buyers alike. So, teams up with Mutt Lang. And so, the record was co-written by Mutt Lang and Brian Adams. And it was recorded in London. I don't usually talk about where things are recorded, but it matters here. Okay. Calm down the journey with me because this is nuts. Canada has a thing called the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission. And they have this system of Canadian content for Canadian broadcasters. And it says that a piece of recorded music has to meet two of the following four criteria in order to qualify as Canadian content and therefore be played on Canadian radio stations in order to like, you know, retain some semblance of like Canadian art. Like this is is Canadian content. So here's the four. The first, the artist was Canadian. Check, Brian Adams, Canadian. Uh, The second one, the track was completely recorded in Canada. No, it was not. It was recorded in London. Uh, The whole album was. The music was entirely written by a Canadian or Canadians. No, Brian Adams is Canadian, but Mutt Lang is South African. And then the fourth thing is the lyrics were entirely written by a Canadian. So the music was written by a Canadian as one. The lyrics were written by a Canadian as one. And we know that the music was not entirely written by Brian Adams because it was largely written by Mutt Lang. And we know that the lyrics were not entirely written by Brian Adams because we have Mutt Lang in there, but we also have a few other co-writers. So none of the album's songs were considered Canadian content, and they couldn't be played on Canadian radio. Like at all. At all. What? Right. So Brian Adams, not a fan, not didn't like this at all, and made a huge stake, and the album was enormous. So they changed the rules. So they said non-Canadians can contribute up to 50% of the finished content to each the music and the lyrics of a recorded piece and still qualify. So they, they said, okay... It doesn't have to be entirely written by a Canadian, just 50%. I'm curious where Informer fit in on the uh, Canadian. I think MC Shad and the one that is Snow are both Canadian. So it was a lock. I mean, it feels like it. Brian Adams had to struggle to get get this record in there. And you know, you could have recorded it in Manitoba or something, but you didn't. You had to go to London, didn't you? Because you're so fancy. Anyway, so they changed the rules, right? Okay. And we're like, phew. Good, because this album has a smash on it. Everything I do, I do it for you. Yeah. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves soundtrack. Yeah, and I don't know what it had to do with Robin Hood, but it was... Nothing. And and then in the video, they just, like, cut in some clips of Kevin Costner, and people were okay with it. (laughs) People were fine with Kevin Costner? Still are. (laughs) So we dodged a bullet, right? Enormous hit on this album. We can play it. We cannot... This one, this one song, was written by Brian Adams, Mutt Lang, and Michael Kamen, who is American. Well, <laughs> man. So even after the rule change, like most of the album was good, but not the enormous hit. Wow. So you know, I I think Canada does a lot of things right, but th- this one they really whiffed on. Bags of milk. <laughs> and this, what are we doing? What are we doing up there? I think it's a good example of policy that's very well-meaning. Right. Because you can see how being the neighbor of America, yeah, where you, a large amount of pop culture stuff comes from, how your radio airwaves could, could immediately... Could easily just, just be obliterated. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know what? I bet that Americans, we've probably benefited too, because that allowed a lot of Canadian artists to probably get their legs under them. And we may not have ever been gifted with their talents the way that we have been sure if they hadn't been allowed to fill the canadian airwaves and then come on down come on over Mm -hmm. if you will (laughs) we'll come back to it (laughs) all right this is everything i do i do it for you it's brian adams on american airwaves (laughs) (laughs) look into my
90.3 KRNU, Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you. All right, this is the Mutt Lang mixtape, and we cannot not talk about Shania Twain for any longer. We are in the 90s now, and Mutt Lang hears Canadian Chanteuse Shania Twain. So he reached out to her and was like, hey, uh, what would you think about me, you know, producing your album? I just did this thing with Brian Adams, people tend to like it. And things escalated very quickly. They were married, like, within the year. He became her writing partner, her husband, her producer, the whole thing. And the album that came out of that, that first album, was called The Woman in Me. 1995's The Woman in Me. 12 yeah. times platinum. Bananas. Mm-hmm. Any man of mine. Any man. Any man. Any man. <laughs> so we'll talk a bit more about Shania Twain after a few Shania Twain songs, because it gets darker, and I don't want that to, no. to taint your Shania Twain experience. So let's do the songs first. Okay. We'll start with Who's Bad Every Boot's Been Under. This is the Mutt Lang Mixtape on 90.3 KRNU. Who's bad have your boots been under?
Let's go, girls. Exclamation point. I feel like a woman. <laughs> Shania Twain uh, on the Mutt Lang mixtape because, of course, Shania Twain, who was married to him, longtime collaborator, writer, producer, all the things. That record was called Come On Over, the biggest selling studio album by a solo female artist. Wow. 40 million copies worldwide. That's amazing. As, as we talked on a previous episode, I listened to the uh, 500 greatest albums ever and couple Shania Twain albums on there and that one in particular I was like well I, I think I know the you know let's go girls uh, <laughs> but I was like oh I know all these songs of course you do there were three number ones mm-hmm. seven singles yeah and if you pay attention to it because it's like oh well that's country and Billy Ocean is pop and R&B and Def Leppard is whatever Def Leppard is arena <laughs> rock and those things all seem different but if you listen to those songs 
they are all just supercharged studio pop rock productions. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the reasons Shania Twain crossed over so much because it is country, but like, is it? Right. Shania Twain and Mutt Lang, um, they're married. They had a kiddo, Asia, and hired an assistant. And, oh, Always a mistake. Oh boy, here we go. Shania Twain, she got bit by a tick. This is in the early Ooh. 2000s. She was horseback riding in, I don't know, like Virginia or oh, something. Oh no. Got Lyme disease. And Terrible. it affected her vocal cords, but it took the doctors forever to figure out that that's what was going on. And she had a mm-hmm. bunch of throat surgeries. And that's kind of why she disappeared for a long time and nobody heard her sing. Wow. She couldn't sing. Crazy. And we get back to this assistant here. So the assistant and her husband live down the road. The assistant is Shania's assistant, her best friend. Their families are very close. You see where this is going. So Mutt and the assistant, Marianne, had an affair. And Frederick, the assistant's husband... Found out about it, told Shania about it. The whole marriage was wrecked. I think Mutt Lang's now on to, like, he's divorced yeah. that lady. He's on to another lady. Yep. But Shania turned around and married Marianne's husband. Because yep. they had both kind of, like, looked to each other. Right. First. For solace. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, come on, boots. <laughs> so... Crazy. Congrats to them. Yeah, way to go. I'm happy that she's happy. And I'm glad that she's been back out in the public more, you know, because you such a huge piece of that late 90s scene and really what made, you know, pop country kind of the big powerful force that it is. I mean, even a Taylor Swift owes a lot to Shania Twain doing what she had done. And- a thousand percent. And I think just... There are certain, even like uh, when you think about back to Rick Rubin last week, Run DMC and Aerosmith, the existence of that collaboration opened the doors for a lot of other things. And I think the collaboration between Shania Twain and Mutt Lang opened the doors for a lot of other kind of country production, probably in many ways gave way to like bro country. Sure. But other good things too. Right, not, yeah. Not just bad things. <laughs> Interesting hair. Yep. Great producer. Yeah. Terrible husband. Yeah, not so good. Mutt Lang's production credits, it really tapers off at this point. And sure. it's unclear about whether, if that's because his sort of production style had fallen out of favor a bit more. Because we had a bunch of other hotshot producers. Right. In the aughts, in the 2010s. Oh, yeah. F- your Pharrell's, mm-hmm. for example. Sure. Like, I have a lot of respect for somebody who's just like, you know what? I did it. Right. Like, I don't have to keep doing this until I'm 90. I, I can just, you know, do whatever I want now. I mean, he owns this a ton oh, of property in I'm, New Zealand. I have no doubt about it. And he's it. just, yeah. like, on his compound. Right. Probably listening to Hysteria. <laughs> like, you just get up every morning. It's like, rocket! <laughs> just echoing across New Zealand. You can hear it. Oh, my goodness. Rocket, baby. Come on. There it is. <laughs> so that was a Mutt Lang mixtape. We did it. Yay. Should we do Pharrell next time? Sounds fun to me. I mean, I already referred to it. Yeah. So maybe we should get into that. There we go. All right. Thanks for listening. We will have a new mixtape next week. Interrupting all programs. 